This is Steve Jones. He is my former boss man from South Des Moines, or East Des Moines, I guess. We live in yeah. South Des Moines, grew up in East Des Moines. But, so he had been lead pastor at the Well Covenant Church for about 20 years. Um, long time. Long, time. <laughs> um, long enough to raise his boys, and then once they were all up and out of high school and came up to Cornerstone and um, started up this Cornerstone Counseling Center in Ames. And so having him come to talk about uh, mental health and some of those things and what that looks like for us. And so I'm going to go ahead and pray for you. Okay. And thanks. Then we'll, we'll hop in. God, thank you so much for Steve and his willingness to come in and uh, just talk with these guys about mental health and the church. And um, I pray that you'd speak through him and that we'd all have open hearts to listen to uh, what you have for us this morning or this afternoon, I guess. <laughs> Amen. Thanks, Josh. So when I hired Josh, <laughs> tried to think of stuff I could say. Um, I met with him at a coffee shop, Smoky Row Coffee Shop in Des Moines. Anybody ever hear of Smoky Row? Yeah. Do you talk about Smoky Row a lot? Oh, you took him there. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had a good meeting. I liked him. But then um, it's like, I need to hear him sing. Can he even sing? And uh, so I, I don't know if you finally sent me a, vid a video. I think you did. And so the first, the, I, I hit play on the video, and I just was like, holy crap. This guy has an amazing voice. So I don't know if you guys think the same thing, but he's got an incredible voice. And uh, so, yeah, we had a lot of fun together. And um, and it's really excited that Josh and Kate are here at Stonebridge. Um, you know, I have a little bit of a history with Stonebridge and have known Matt for a long time. And so, yeah, it's fun. It's cool. And I'm glad I get to be here. Guys, girls, is that by design or is that just? It's what I grew up with. The girls always sat on one side and the guys on the other. But So, yeah, as, as Josh said, I was uh, pastor in Des Moines for uh, 20 years at the Well Covenant Church. And then uh, two and a half years ago, moved up to um, Cornerstone. All of my boys went to Iowa State and involved in Salt Company. You guys ever heard of Salt Company? Over there at Cornerstone Church, Iowa State. So, um, and I'd known a lot of the staff at Cornerstone for a long time. And so I got a call from uh, Mark Vance uh, back a couple years ago and said, hey, you want to come up and uh, just be on our pastoral team? And so at that time, I had no idea that I would be doing anything with mental health or for sure opening a counseling center. I, they hired me to do some other stuff, and that's something that just unfolded um, after I got here. But yeah, it's just been incredible uh, to see what God's done through that. We um, opened the Counseling Center last fall in October. And what I told uh, Mark Vance and the elders at Cornerstone would take about three to five years to, you know, kind of develop and build. It took about three to five months. 
So it just literally exploded, and we've been able to help a lot of people. And so I'm very grateful. You know, you kind of have an idea of how God's leading you and where he's taking you, but you still want to hold that kind of loosely because God just unfolds his purpose for your life in his way, and it's just always better than what you thought would be the best thing for me. And that that's just... Uh, true about every area of your life and so we're just really happy my wife is the lady who's at the front desk and takes calls and she's a hoot she's fun and she is perfect for that job there so we get to work together just celebrated 30 years of marriage does that sound old i know we yeah what's that i'm 55 yeah. You thought I was in my 30s? That is awesome. You just made my day. Thank you. No, 30 years. I was telling Josh that, you know, we kept laughing yesterday because we kept thinking about people we knew that when they celebrated 30 years, they're like, they're old. And we, it just didn't seem possible. But we do have four adult children. They're all married but one, and he's getting married. You know Solomon played the drums here? He's getting married. In, uh, yeah. And then Seth has led worship here a few times. Curly hair, kind of like Kramer. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's Seth. You like my Kramer impersonation? <laughs> And then Stephen, my oldest, who's the salt director at Candeo over Cedar Falls, he's preached here a few times. So, Oh, okay. Sam, people wonder if he even exists. We always talk about Sam, but no one has ever seen him. He is an electrical engineer and works um, at an engineering firm in West Ames. And uh, so, yeah, we love him. Four grandkids, Isla, Sully, Jack. And now Reagan, little baby Reagan. Man, the cutest. They're cute. I love being a grandpa. So that's a little bit about me. Um, I've been a pastor for a long time, but I'm very, very passionate about mental health. And people ask me why. So I just want to, I'm not going to, I'm, my biggest fear today is that I would bore you out of your mind. So I'm, I'm don't want to do that. So I'm going to try to just do this in a way where you understand my, my understanding of mental health, but kind of in a narrative way, just how that unfolded for me. And um, before I get into that, how many of you are into horror movies? Okay, no? Scariest movie you've ever seen? Top, or just to say top, top three. Ooh. Just the name of that sounds weird. The collector. <laughs> okay, you're scariest. No. Yeah, yeah. No, I I used to be into them, and I don't know something happened, and I don't like them anymore. Yeah, um, there was a movie called Psycho. One, Psycho 2. Yeah, they're old. Because I'm old. Okay? 
I'm, I'm sure if I look back, I go, okay, why, why did we ever, why were we ever afraid of this? Um, okay, so Silence of the Lambs was created a long time ago. Have you ever seen that one? Okay. Yeah, it is. Yeah, because it's about a psychopath, right? Okay, so my point is, um, for the longest time when I thought about mental health, I, I just kind of chalked it all up into really, really crazy people like we see in these movies. Like the movies are about people that deal with mental health. So it's just all one big category for me. Uh, not just through high school and college, but even as I began, uh, you know, as a, as a pastor, I, I just was very limited in my understanding. It's just like crazy people that might live in a mental institute, and I'm not even sure what the reason is for craziness and all of that, um, but just was kind of suspicious of the whole thing, uh, the idea of that, and probably would have said, you know, 30 years ago, I think it's just people that are running from God. If they would just obey God, everything would be okay. All right? So just not giving any um, legitimacy to psychology or anything medical that uh, research that had been around. So my background is in theology, biblical counseling, um, been teaching the Bible for over uh, 35 years, and, and we'll always be grateful for that. So all the way through what I'm going to share with you, I, I don't ever want to minimize any of that. Um, but in 2001, I became the pastor of the church that Josh used to be at, that I used to be at, the Welcome to Church on the east side of Des Moines. And um, anybody from the east side of Des Moines or have relatives on the east side of Des Moines? Okay, good, because I might sound like I'm knocking the east side of Des Moines. <laughs> um, there, there's mental health issues everywhere, for sure. But it just the east side of Des Moines, uh, sometimes where there's, are, where there's systemic poverty and drug addiction and uh, family dysfunction, a lot of those things kind of go together with mental health. So we're, I'm, I'm the pastor, and the new pastor in this church in a highly visible place on a big four-lane road that a lot of people you know, drove by. Um, I'm the pastor of this church, and we just always had a lot of people come to our church, just visit, just come into the life of our church, and which is great. But the but a lot of the people that were coming in were coming out of serious family dysfunction, drug addiction, uh, you know, poverty, serious mental health issues, and and I began to encounter that stuff. Um, you know, as they would enter the life of our church, maybe come to faith in Christ, be baptized, and want to get involved, want to join the church, but still have all of these issues that I would categorize now as severe emotional, psychological, and relational problems. One lady um, started coming to our church. My first encounter with her was in the church lobby on a Wednesday night. Um, someone came running to me and said, Pastor, you got to come help this lady because, you know, I'm like the resident expert on everything. And I walked down into the lobby, and, and this lady, her name is Janet, was right in the middle of uh, having a psychotic episode, just paranoid, delusional thinking, literally out of her mind. Um, and I just stood there like... What do you do with this? And everybody was looking at me like, Pastor, 
do something. And so I did what I knew to do. I prayed. And prayer is not a bad thing, but that's the only thing I knew to do in that moment, just pray and try to talk with her, but was very unsuccessful because she was not even in the state of mind to even process a prayer, even hear it, or even respond. And I am embarrassed now to look back on that and think I had no idea what to do. And so later on, I'll fast forward uh, my relationship with Janet, which was ongoing, and God gave me the opportunity to walk with her through some really hard, hard things. But I later discovered that she had been physically and sexually abused by her dad and her uncles from the time she was a little girl all the way through high school until she was old enough to run away. Um, you know, extreme, horrific trauma. Uh, left her, if you, and I know I'm, I'm talking to high school students, but as you can imagine, trauma having just a profound effect on a little child, you know, emotionally, psychologically, even neurologically, their brain and how the brain develops. And I don't want to throw a lot of psychological terminology at you, but just to understand that uh, it profoundly affected her, not only as a little child and as a teenage girl, but for the rest of her life. Um, just her ability to relate to people. Uh, uh, she was a drug addict. That was her coping mechanism for all of her pain and her unprocessed trauma, um, high levels of anxiety, clinical depression, other mental health issues. So when I met her that night, she had overdosed. Uh, you know, just to complicate things, she had overdosed on multiple pain meds with a dash of heroin and a dash of meth in there. Just, I mean, she should have died that night, is what the doctors later said. Uh, just a miracle that she survived that. That's what I met that night um, in our lobby, having a manic phase, psychotic features, and I didn't know what to do at all. Um, fortunately, there was a nurse. We had several nurses in the church, and there was a nurse standing right there, and she, and she said, we need to get her, her to the hospital immediately. That never occurred to me. I'm em embarrassed to say that, you know, like, hmm, yeah, that would be a good idea. She said she is out of her mind and she's a threat to herself. And I, if I had been really listening and stopped praying and just listened, I would have heard her saying, I want to take my life. I want to kill myself. I want to kill myself. So she was a threat to herself. So we should have immediately taken her uh, to the emergency room. And even at that time, not realizing that, you know, Lutheran and Broadlawns and Mercy and even like here and you know, over in Ames, Mary Greeley, they all have uh, a psychiatric uh, uh, unit that is prepared to receive people like that. So I'm just young pastor processing all this and and listened to that nurse and said, yeah, OK. And so they. Uh, called an ambulance, got her, she, she was picked up, and they took her down to Broadlawns, where for five days she was being detoxed. Just, she had so many drugs, and, you know, both 
um, prescribed drugs. She had set up a way where she would see different doctors and get multiple pain meds and then make a cocktail out of it, which is just a mixing it all up. Very lethal, but she was dealing with such pain in her life that was just the only way that she knew to cope. You know, pain from the past and then pain uh, current in her life. So she just had all of that in her system. So hospitals are set up to help somebody detox, to get all of that out of their system, which is horrible. Uh, they is mostly just letting the body do, uh, run its course, the body purging that, um, and getting them in a place where they can't, because they're, they're wanting more. Their body's craving, you know, to get more. So for five days, uh, she, so I went to see her five days later. And it's almost like in the Bible, you know, Jesus would heal somebody and it says they were in their right mind. It's like, I'm sitting and talk, talking to somebody that seemed like a completely different person. And we were able to just talk and we were able to talk about Jesus and able to talk about the gospel, which I had no ability to do that Wednesday night. It would have been, you know, fruit, fruitless. So it just would have not had any impact. So all of these experiences just started to trigger things in me like I, I think that there is an element in human functioning and just what I need to know as a pastor that I, I need to learn, I need to grow in if I'm going to be an effective pastor. And so um, at that time, as, as, I'm, as I've been saying, I had little or no understanding of mental health. Um, I had had some classes in high school and college on psychology. Any of you had ever had any class in psychology yet? I don't know how. Right there, psychology. Do you have to have a class in psychology? Is that required now? No? Okay. Okay. Okay, good. I had taken some, didn't, apparently didn't pay attention. I didn't remember much. In fact, I was very suspicious of psychology because kind of the... Christian influences I had come under were very suspicious of it and and so as a pastor I didn't know anything about trauma in the brain which is very useful to know about and so at first I you know I tried to address a lot of the issues of the way I'd always address those problems with a bible verse and a prayer um you know, just repent and obey, obey Jesus as if every problem somebody has, an emotional problem or is or mood problem is related to some area of personal sin or disobedience. You know, kind of like if you're depressed, it's always because you have anger and bitterness. Or if you have anxiety, it's always because there's some kind of area of sin or disobedience in your life. Um, I mean, doesn't the Bible say, I, I would don't be anxious about anything so if you have any kind of anxiety in your life uh, something's wrong you know you shouldn't be having that and I'm not you know minimizing I the, the importance of the Bible in the lives of people it's our foundation it's our authority that's why Matt and Josh and others stand up every Sunday and teach from the Bible we need to be grounded in Bible and theology I'm not minimizing that um, in the lives of people uh, anybody have a Bible with you there can you Look up Second Peter one three because this is a verse that I 
kind of defaulted to a lot when people would talk about the need for hospitals in regard to mental health or professional counselors or psychology. What does 2 Peter 1.3 say? Okay, so I would say that verse to people, you know, you don't need that or you don't need that. We have the Bible. We have Jesus. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. And, uh, and you know, I look at that verse and I would say I believe the gospel is powerful. The gospel changes lives and God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. But how? And are there other things that we need to consider. So I, ha I have an experiment that I'm not going to do. You just need to imagine it because if I did this experiment, they would come and arrest me and put me in jail. So if I had a, one of you volunteer and I had a big baseball bat up here and said, I need a volunteer. Okay, and it'd be you. No, 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 no. Stay where you're at because we're just imagining this. I don't have a baseball bat. What's your name? Maddie. Maddie. And so Maddie said, I'll be your volunteer. And Maddie came up here, and I picked up the bat, and I hit her in the head three times as hard as I could. Right. Um, Maddie's brain would be altered there for a little bit, maybe for a while, maybe permanently, but her brain would not be the same. And so what if I did that and said, okay, Maddie, I want you to sit back down. I want you to pay attention, and I want you to really listen and process what I'm talking about here. She might not even, she might be knocked out. She might be, you know, in loopy land. I don't know. But you would all say, what? That's too much to expect. You know, her brain's not operating properly right now. So that's kind of an extreme example, but it's really understand, uh, important to understand because things like trauma or abuse or severe neglect or chronic stress can have that kind of impact on the brain, especially if it begins when someone is a very young child. Because as young children, their brain is developing. It's forming what we would consider to be a normal functioning brain. And it's not you know, functioning right, or even if somebody experiences, even as an adult, severe, severe trauma or some, some kind of event like that, uh, or sustained chronic stress it alters the brain it alters the way the brain functions and that's really important to understand when we're thinking about how do we function as a church how do we as a youth group how do we love people that God brings into our life and 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 not not assume that everybody is the same that everybody is able to understand things about Jesus in the, in, in the way that maybe you do, that maybe there's things that have happened in their life. Maybe there's things that have compromised their ability. It doesn't mean that they can't in some way understand the gospel at some point, but it just informs the way that we bring it into their life. And so that's what happened for me with Janet in that lobby um, who just showed up having psychotic delusions. There was something fundamentally wrong, and it wasn't just a spiritual issue. 
I mean, my first thoughts were, what kind of spiritual issues going on in this lady's life right now? And it never dawned on me. It never occurred to me. There's something deeper going on, not related to personal sin in her life, but related to original sin, that we live in a broken world. And because we live in a broken world, we break arms, we break legs, but other parts of our body can be broken too. And even the brain can be broken at some level, depending on what people have maybe experienced in their life. And I need to think about that for Janet. And it was the brokenness of her world that she grew up in at a time when she should have found what we would call a safe a haven, safety with her primary caregivers, her parents, and those around her. She found the opposite. She lived in terror. She lived in pain. She lived in neglect. And it had, as I said before, a profound impact on the way that she developed as a person, the way her brain physically developed. And it affected her all the way into her adulthood, even up to the time that I met her, and even ongoing in the way that we introduced her to Jesus and the way we tried to bring the truth of the gospel into her life. And so all of that just really, God just used that to just break me down. I just remember... When I was having some of those aha moments, there was many other stories I could tell you. A kid that was uh, just abused by his dad um, daily. Uh, two kids that were coming to the church that were just uncontrollable. And we thought it was just, they were just disobedient and need spankings. And to find out later that they were coming to our Awana group, uh, lived in a meth house. And so even though they weren't smoking the meth as a, four-year-old and a six-year-old they had levels of meth in them that were at the same level as a meth addict so we had two little meth addicts coming to our kids program teachers were upset what are we going to do about these disobedient children and when I discovered they were meth addicts I went back to all the teachers got them together and said we have a couple of meth addicts that are coming that we need to learn how to love better I mean I just broke down in front of my teachers I God just broke me I said, there has to be a way that we understand. We don't, it doesn't mean that they can do whatever they want, but how do we love them? They're, they didn't grow up in a stable home. They didn't grow up with loving parents. They don't have that. Their parents are stoned every day. They're, they're laying on the floor. They're neglected. They have meth in their bodies. How do we love them in a way that they could discover uh, the, the true love of Jesus and know him? Does that make sense? So God's going to be bring people into your life. Um, God's going to bring people into the life of this church. And we always want to take people where they're at and not assume things and, and be more loving and understanding. I always talk about my movement uh, into the whole world of mental health as, as God equipping me with another layer of pastoral care. How do I care for people really well? And, and not just seeing the spirit. But we are mind, body, spirit creatures, right? You have a body that I could see, uh, mind, spirit, all of those things working together. So um, I, I want to just do one more thing here and then see if you guys have any questions. But one of the questions I get a lot is what are ways Christians should generally view mental health issues? Okay. So I just want to read something that's off of our website, Cornerstone Counseling website, because we want people to get on the website. It's cornerstone-counseling.com. So they understand how we see this, how we're bringing the world of Christianity, church, theology together with psychology. 
Um, I co-wrote this part of it with our clinical director, Ed Rupert, who's been doing this for 40 plus years, um, has counseled with trauma uh, victims uh, for much of those 40 years, just a phenomenal, deeply spiritual man, but very knowledgeable. So we kind of co-wrote this, but it definitely has Ed's flavor on it. So just listen as carefully as you can. We know that as human beings, we can and do experience brokenness. I think all of us could write up on that board areas of brokenness that we personally have experienced or that we see in our families or that we see at our schools that we see on the, you know, the news, if you watch the news. I mean, COVID-19 is just all around, and we're just seeing our, a broken world. So we see that. We believe that for true and lasting change to take place, and that's what people want. You know, I have this problem, whether we put in the category of mental health or just some kind of problem. I want to change. I don't want to be this way. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to be different. For true and lasting change to take place, we must attend to both soul and body. So for me, as a pastor early, in the early days, I just was focused on soul, 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 not body. The nurse that talked to me in the lobby was focused on soul and body, and that's why she said we should get this lady to the emergency room immediately because there's some body things going on that is affecting her soul. Does that make sense? So we, we don't want to do either or. And that's the p- problem that a lot of churches have had, a lot of pastors have had, is just everything's spirit, everything is soul, and not considering how the body's impacting that because constantly through the Bible we see mind, body, spirit, mind, body, spirit, mind, body, spirit. So they all go together. You can't address one without addressing the other. The reality that we live in a broken and fallen world with other wounded, broken people creates suffering and pain in our lives. Therefore, our counseling at Cornerstone Counseling seeks to not only address the presenting issues and suffering common to people, but also explore the complex and largely hidden desires of the soul. God is in the business of restoring and renewing all things, and we believe no person is beyond his redeeming grace. And then we write this, and you can see this on the website, as Christian therapists, Our worldview is determined by our best understanding of God's wisdom as expressed in the Bible. And so we want people to know that. In addition, though, we value the increasing understanding of medical and psychological and behavioral research into the complexity of human motivations. um, You know, I have somebody sitting, listening to me teach the Bible, but they're not able to comprehend. In fact, they seem like they're way off somewhere and realizing, well, maybe there's something in their history, something that's impacting that, or even like Janet coming in. It's been very unrealistic for me to have escorted Janet into a worship service and expected her to get anything out of it. She was in the middle of a, you know, delusional, psychotic delusional moment and, uh, and needed things physically addressed in her life before she could even process spiritual things and so we're, we're saying we're understanding that valuing the understanding of medical psychological and behavioral research into the complexity of human motivations and behavior as, as a more informed view of ourselves as human beings and as a result our therapeutic practice embraces spiritual spirituality together with 
psychological theories and interventions as a holistic approach to treating clients. So I've had people say, if I come to Cornerstone Counseling Center, are they just going to open the Bible and preach at me from the Bible? And I say, no. Uh, There's so much more uh, to consider with people that come in and say, I think I have some type of issue going on in my life, some type of, uh, you know, depression. And not everybody's obviously at the extreme level as a Janet, but people that are dealing with uh, lingering anxiety and depression and and just need some type of uh, professional help uh, uh, to move them through that. Um, any any questions up to that point? I have. I guess I have one more section. Then how are we doing on time? Okay, I promise I won't go too long. Any questions up to at this point on anything I've said? I forgot to say that uh, after the experience with Janet, that prompted me. I have a I have a th- degree in theology that I got to train me as a pastor. That uh really motivated me to to go back to school and uh, start a degree, a master's degree in mental health counseling. So I did that and I started that back in 2014 at Drake University and then did that for two years and just kind of put it on pause and just uh, after moving up here, uh, started that back up and should finish that next year. So I'm going to be a licensed professional counselor here uh, hopefully soon. All right, so the big question people ask often is, all right, everybody has some levels of depression, some levels of anxiety. When do I know, you know, or, you know, how, how do I know if that's a spiritual problem or if that's, you know, kind of a mental health problem? And those are all great questions. So what I would say is, is this, when you look at your life or, or working with someone who has a spiritual problem, they're generally is a specific sin, some area of disobedience in their life. And all of us have disobeyed at some point. Anybody, the perfect child, you've never disobeyed ever? None? Okay. I didn't think so. All right. So, you know, the person has unrepentant sin in their life. They feel guilty about it. The, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, they don't feel good. I cheated on a test one time. And I know that's not a big deal. A lot of people cheat, and it's pretty common. But for me, it was a big deal because I never cheated. I was generally a pretty honest person. But I cheated on this test because I wasn't prepared. And I just gave in to the temptation. I cheated. I got an A on it, and I felt horrible. I felt That's what I felt physically, emotionally. I felt horrible. I, you know, I felt overwhelmed, convicted. I became anxious. I had worry in my life. I experienced those emotions. It was not a mental health issue. It was God working in me and bringing that about. And I knew exactly why I was feeling the way I was feeling. And that, that again, is a good... You know, sometimes people call the counseling center and they want to talk to me first because, you know, they, they want to know, is this a spiritual issue or is this... You know, is this just something deeper that's going on, kind of mind, body, spirit thing? And so I'll just ask them, is there anything that you can think of that is going on in your life, any area of disobedience, any area of sin? And they're like, no, I just can't put a finger on it. I don't know why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. So generally, when there's a spiritual issue, people know right away. If you come to me and say, wow, you look depressed. You're laying on your bed in your dorm room. What's going on? You... 
while I feel very depressed and anxious. Is there something that happened? Yeah, to be honest, there is. I cheated on a test. I don't deserve the A. I deserve a zero. So I, I knew. I knew right away what the issue was. So generally, when there's a spiritual problem, you know what the thing is. Um, what we typically find um, is, you know, when there is something that's not a spiritual problem that, that we would say is more of a mental health thing is um, there's not a particular issue. Um, uh, there, there's just a, a sadness. There's a, you know, what, what we would call maybe a clinical depression where uh, the person, and this isn't true for everybody, but they just don't want to get out of bed in the morning. They, they, they can't sleep well. They, they, it's really, really hard to go to school or to go to work or to, and they're struggling in relationships. It's just affecting everything about them. And generally they will say to me, I don't know why. I just have felt this way for a long time. And I don't know why I'm feeling this way. I, I can't pinpoint anything. And even when I have them think back, is there something that happened? I no, no, I just feel this way. I feel hopeless. Things feel dark. I, I just can't function. And uh, so just real quick, there's so many different mental health issues, but I've mentioned depression. Let me just talk real quickly about that. And just, you know, even as I talk to other pastors and people in the church and just trying to help them navigate spiritual issue versus mental health, um, you know, the most common issues that people are, are dealing with, and I know, you know, especially with college students and a lot of high school students even, are areas of depression and anxiety. Those would be the most common. And so there are, again, levels of anxiety and depression that are normal, that are found just about everywhere, uh, symptoms of sadness, anxiety, or, you know, part of everyday experience, and people are experiencing that with COVID-19. You know, people just don't feel good, you know. They're thinking about, am I going to lose my job? And what's going to happen, you know, with, you know, with you guys in, in the fall, uh, going back to school? Some parents were kind of stressed out about this, and they just decided we're just going to homeschool, and they've never homeschooled before, but we don't know what's going to happen with Ames Public Schools, and so we're just going to homeschool. So there's just, you know, none of that feels good. And so there's kind of this general, you know, anxiety about life and the future and how's COVID going to affect the economy, just all that kind of stuff. Am I going to get COVID-19? I mean, my son just called me and said, I went to a party last night, and we found out today that one of the people at the party had COVID-19. His test results came back. Of course, we're wondering if you went and got tested, why did you go to the party? And so we're all mad at this kid, but it is what it is. So there's just all this stuff going on. So there, there's a normal and regular God-given anxiety that is in us that isn't necessarily sin and, and not, is not necessarily bad. If I said, look, there's a lion that just walked in, and you turn around and you saw a lion, if you're normal, you would be feeling what? Fear, anxiety that would cause you to do typically two things. Either you'd run, flight, fight or flight, or you would look for the nearest spear or gun and charge the lion, right? Fight or flight. That's just a God-given mechanism that's in us. So 
Um, there are days, to be honest, that I feel a little depressed. Or I wake up and I feel anxious about stuff. Um, and so I want to say that because uh, we don't want to, when we talk about mental health, just say, wow, if anybody has any level of anxiety or depression, they have a mental health problem. So we don't want to say that. We just want to, in many ways, normalize some of the things that we experience that are God-given that are not necessarily related to any sin issue in your life or my life. It's just life in how we cope with it. It's only when symptoms begin to group together, and I'm getting a little technical here, but I, 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 I still want to talk about this. I know this is a small group. I don't know things that you might be dealing with in your own life or people that you know that might be dealing with stuff. But it's when symptoms are start to kind of group together and form patterns that persist over time that cause, you know, what we would call clinically significant distress or impairment, our ability to work or ability to relate to people in a proper way that we begin to suspect there might be some kind of mental health issue. I mean, you know, if things are isolated, a little bit of anxiety, wake up in the morning, man, I don't want to get out of bed today. I shouldn't be thinking, wow, do I have a mental health issue? It's when things persist over long periods of time and, and there's multiple symptoms a person is experiencing that we start to think, okay, maybe, maybe it's time to get some professional help. And that's one of the reasons that uh, we do a lot of counseling at the church, just what I would consider pastoral counseling, you know, and a lot of that's related to spiritual issues. Man, I feel crappy. Was well, there something going on in your life? Yeah. I, uh, you know, did this, or I took some stuff from work, or I sent this person this horrible email, and I feel terrible about it. Okay, well, here's how some steps we can take. So there is a level of pastoral counseling that we still do. But when I'm counseling with somebody and I begin to see patterns in their life and things that are going on over a long period of time, and I get the idea that this is not related to some sin issue in their life, is when I begin to say, you know what, I think maybe it would be helpful uh, for you to get some type of professional counseling. And I just, again, see that as just part of the way I'm able to help and shepherd people, just another layer of pastoral care and that's the language we're now using at Cornerstone Church and um, that a lot of churches are using in, as we begin to understand more and more the way that something like a Cornerstone Counseling Center can help us love and care for people in the best way possible so I could go on and you guys have been great um, but uh, just in the remaining time here, I don't know if you have any questions or want more clarification on anything I said, but any, any thoughts or questions that any of you have about that or things that maybe you've seen around you uh, that people are dealing with? I thought about bringing three-by-five cards and having you write questions down if you had any. That's a little bit safer. Anything you've thought about or anything you're seeing? What about COVID-19? What, what kinds of stuff are you hearing or seeing? Do you have a question or a thought? Okay. Yeah.
Yeah. Um, right. So if, if somebody came to me and, and said, here's the situation I'm in, um, and it feels dangerous or it feels pretty hopeless or I feel like harm could come to me, um, you know, we would want to start thinking through you know, using the word intervention doesn't mean that a bunch of people are going to descend on that place. But we, we would want to start helping that person walk through a plan on how to either make you feel safe in that environment or get you to a place, whoever that is, um, where you would feel safer. And a lot of times in those situations, like those kids, we, they were taken out. They were not safe there. I mean, that's pretty obvious. So, you know, you don't ever want to rush to do that, but when that is evaluated and a safety becomes a big issue. Um, and th that was another thing I had to learn as a pastor. Um, sometimes we had, had to le help people do things that took, you know, like even with uh, a wife that's being beaten. You know, early on, it's like, well, God is for the sanctity of marriage and keeping couples together. So we got to figure out how to help this couple stay together. It didn't ever occur to me, she might lose her life. I need to get her out first and make sure she's safe. And then if her husband is repentant and is willing to work with us, maybe we can find a way to bring their marriage back together. So it's, I would say the same thing for kids. You know, DHS... Um, Department of Human Services is a great partner for churches and they don't realize it because DHS sounds like this organization that's mean and heartless and really DHS exists to help protect children from really bad situations whether that's physical abuse or drug abuse and so there's a lot of different ways that we can answer that but the main thing would be, is this child safe or this teenager? Um, and is there a way to we can work with the current situation to make it safer? Or do we need to look at some an alternative measure? Does that make sense? And none of that is easy. All of that. And that's why I come back to what I said earlier. We live in a broken world. And none of that is the way God intended for any of this to be. God intended us to be in perfect relationship with him and with each other. God intended for us to have loving and nurturing relationships, loving and nurturing parents, but not every person has that. And that's the kind of stuff that breaks my heart. And that's why I want to be able to speak into those things as a pastor in a more understanding way. Because I just have recognized, okay, it's not going to be perfect. And uh, so how can we help people in the midst of their brokenness find, you know, hope and healing? It's a great question. What's your name? Jenna. Jenna, thanks for asking that. Anybody else?
Any, yes, Kate? Yeah. Yeah, it's always good to talk to somebody that that you know and trust, which should be apparent, but maybe not always is apparent. But at some point, the parents will be involved and need to be involved. So it it would be good to talk to a parent, and they generally already. No. I mean, I know my boys really well. So if my boys were showing symptoms of what I would consider more of a clinical depression or anxiety, um, you know, that's something that's just lingering and going on for a long time. So, you know, people that are around you can see things, and uh, so they might already be dialed into that. A lot of times it's the parents that are calling and saying, my child, you know, needs to see a, a counselor and, I mean, a teenager or, um, and maybe the teenager doesn't want that. So a lot of times the people around you um, are already seeing things. So it's, it's helpful to talk to somebody that knows you and loves you, that you trust, and say, here's what I'm seeing. And they probably will say, you know what, I'm seeing the same stuff. So that would be a first step. That even in, in the SALT company with the college students, that's what we're telling them. Talk to uh, one of the SALT staff members and, and just let them know what you're thinking and feeling, and, and they can maybe collaborate with a small group leader. Because, uh, again, we don't want to chalk everything up to, wow, I have a mental health issue. But generally if someone says, here's what I'm experiencing and it's been going on and on, People that know you really well are going to say, yeah, I'm, I've been seeing the same thing. So from that point on, there is no harm in uh, just, you know, you. there would be no harm in talking to one of the pastors here, but I know uh, Matt really well, and we talk about all this stuff. And, you know, Matt, it'd be good to get one of the pastors or Josh involved because we, as a counseling center, are trying to, form a partnership of pastoral care for people. So we're not trying to take the place. So we always want there to be a pastor or a spiritual leader involved in that student's life. But uh, moving it to the, the place, if, you know, the spiritual leader, the parent, the pastor feel like maybe professional counseling would help to just call up uh, a, a Christian counselor. We have a great team at Cornerstone Counseling. There's other great people. And uh, there's no harm in that. They just do an initial assessment, and they can tell pretty quickly if, you know, you're fine, and I think you just need to keep doing what you're doing, or let's just keep meeting for a while and see if we can sort out some of this stuff. Great question. But for most teenagers, they we don't have any teenagers picking up the phone and calling the front desk. It's usually... 
somebody helping them do that. So don't be afraid uh, if you or someone you know that you can encourage that you think might need to get some help. Uh, don't be afraid to get an adult involved in that and kind of take those steps together. Okay. I think initially it's a lot of Christian counselors and, and, and non-Christian counselors are doing a lot of the same things, and they're using the same assessment tools. So, you know, they're all licensed by the same licensing boards. We're all following similar protocols. So I would say initially I would... You know, like Central Iowa Psychological Services in Ames, they have great people there. And if somebody was in crisis and we were completely full and every other Christian counselor in Ames was full, I would send people there. Where I become more concerned is long-term because then you get into worldview issues. You're counseling out of a worldview. So my worldview is creation, fall, redemption, restoration. It's just that paradigm of everything that's gospel. So big picture, a Christian counselor is going to be using a lot of the same tools and assessments and interventions, but is doing all of that. Even if they're not opening a Bible in that moment, they're, they're coming out of the ultimately the hope that we find in Christ. Just like the language I read on our website. So that would be the, the more long-term concern that at some point their worldview is going to come out. Um, probably more so in the later uh, stages of therapy. Good question, Kate. Maddie, do you have any questions? Did this, any of this make sense to you? Okay. <laughs> you guys have been great. Thank you. Thanks, Josh, for having me.